Um, also, I just want to say that uh, I had a great visit last week with Tom Harkis. was here. You enjoyed him, I trust. Uh, you know, one of the things, Tom, is I told you before that he's a great evangelist, just reaching out. And uh, one of the things that he has really um, encouraged me to do, and Yvonne, is really to set forth to really pray that God would give us opportunities to share the Gospel. And this week, uh, an opportunity came up. I, I gave blood this week at Rock River Valley Blood Center. I knew that I was. they'd called earlier in the week. I, I forget when they called. They called sometime. I just saw a message. They do kind of just leave a message. Hey, I'm giving blood for you. Hey, why don't you give? And so I was just driving by their blood center. I said, you know what? I will go ahead and give today. Not even thinking about just sharing the gospel. But it's a gal who was taking my blood. started to engage in conversation with her. And she was about 30 years old. And you could tell that she had had a rough life, some things that were difficult in her life. Uh, uh, we discerned later that she wasn't a churchgoer. And, and even I discerned she didn't even know much about religious things or had any religious education at all. And, and so I sensed she was um, um, just needy. Uh, one of the things I, I told her, I told her the story of the prodigal son. And uh, you know the story of the prodigal son, right? Of the, 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 the father had two sons and one son, right, was... Uh, a rebellious sort of child and asked for half of the inheritance from his dad's estate and the father gave it to him and subsequently he, he left home and squandered all of his, his father's inheritance, half of it anyway, that he received on sinful living. And this woman who was taking my blood at this point, like her eyes got really big, like, whoa, like she'd never heard that story before. Uh, it's one of the most famous parables ever said and she didn't know that, that story very well. Her eyes lit up and then I, I described how he... He figured that it would be better to be a servant in his dad's home than, than feeding the pigs in a foreign land where he was poor and destitute. And so he came back to his father repentant of his sin. His, gladly, his father gladly took him home to be part of the family and, and even had a party and great rejoicing. And one of the things I told this woman, I said, you know what, if you're, if you're outside of Christ and don't know much about God or religion or anything, that, that, that God loves those who seek the Savior who know they're, they're sinful or humble about their sin, they come to an end of themselves and they call upon God. And then after a bit, she shared about how she uh, has cancer or had cancers, maybe a cancer survivor. She's only 30 years old maybe and what a great struggle that was. So as you start just talking about spiritual things, you know, just other things you know, came up and she's a young mother of a few young children. I'm not sure how many, maybe one, maybe three, I'm not sure. And uh, she didn't think that she was expected to have cancer and so she's struggling with that. And come to find out, she's got this neighbor who's been sharing with her, uh, giving her literature to help her through her cancer struggles, invited her to church. And I don't think she's come yet, but from what, what I gather, she'd like to, but she said her husband wouldn't come yet. It's a, kind of a resistance. So I encouraged her to seek the Lord. I, I encouraged her to maybe go to church with her neighbor or come to Rock Valley Bible Church. We'd love to have you. Um, and one, one of the things that I told her is that, you know, I said church can be an intimidating place for someone who comes in and doesn't know much. Um, but know this, that, that God delights more in the, the son who came from a, a sinful background and wasted everything who was repentant than He does the, the other son who was at home who was lost as well. He was proud. He did everything that his father told him to do. He, he never strayed once. And yet, as the story unfolds at, at the end, is that he was truly the lost one because he was proud in his religious works and proud in his righteousness. And, and I just told this woman that, you know, God looks upon those who are humble and just seek, seek Him. The Bible says, God's opposed the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
And we're going to see today Jesus confronting those who are proud, like the older son rather than the younger son. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. We're going to look today at three verses. Mark chapter 12, verses 38, 39, and 40. I, I had every intention, as we, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark, to finish the chapter. Um, but as I got into it, I just saw too much here in verse 38, 39, and 40 to continue on. So next week, we'll start in chapter 12, verse 41, and go on. But, but this week, we're right here. Mark chapter 12, verse 38. Teaching to the proud, arrogant scribes. He says this, In His teaching, He was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Just four short, three short verses there. As Darren read from us a little bit in, in Matthew's Gospel, right? It's 23. Sorry, all of Matthew chapter 23 is is there really summed up just in these three words. There's there's a, there's a lot here, and Jesus is fundamentally hitting spiritual pride. Those who be proud of their spiritual accomplishments, Jonathan Edwards said, the first and worst cause of error that prevails in our day is spiritual pride. This is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the advancement of Christ. It is the chief inlet of smoke from the bottomless pit to darken the mind and mislead the judgment of the main handle by which Satan takes hold of Christians to hinder a work of God. And until this disease is cured, medicines are applied in vain to heal all other diseases. Spiritual pride. It's what Jesus addressed in Matthew chapter 23. It's what Jesus addresses here. It's the same, same situation. Here we see six symptoms of spiritual pride. You can see them there. These, these men of Jesus' day love their long robes. Love the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Love the chief seats and the places of honor. They, they devoured widows' houses and they offered long prayers. All evidences of pride, evidences of corruption, so they've taken their position of leadership and used it for their own aggrandizement. They've used it to promote self rather than to serve others. They've exalted their own importance and have abused their own power. Put on a religious show for all to see. And Jesus, if you look there, condemns these people. He says at the end of verse 40, these will receive greater condemnation. They receive greater condemnation, greater condemnation than those in Israel who, who simply refused to believe, or the people, or, or even those in Israel who just continued in the rebellion. Greater condemnation. On, on several occasions, Jesus spoke about this, this greater condemnation. Dante wrote this, uh, this book called the Inferno. The Inferno. We had these different levels in hell. And Jesus speaks about different levels in hell. For those who know so much and yet are proud, their condemnation is greater. He said, to those, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Because Jesus came to Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum and He performed His miracles there and He showed Himself and He showed Himself who He was. And yet they rejected Him. And He says, your condemnation is going to be worse than Tyre, Sidon, and even He named Sodom as well. And their condemnation will be bad, but the, the condemnation of those who know 
and then turn away is, is worse because with greater knowledge comes greater condemnation. And as you all here at Rock Valley Bible Church can hear the Word week in, week out, to turn away from the, the Lord and to not walk in His ways means a greater condemnation comes upon you. It's just the reality here about these, these scribes who are, who are puffed up. They're going to receive a greater condemnation. That's why James says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. And that's, that's the same idea here. The, these scribes right, were the teachers. They were the ones who kept the law. They were the ones who knew the law. They were the ones who, who were the keepers of the law. They taught the Scriptures. But they, they missed not only the truth of the Scriptures, they also missed the heart of the Scriptures. In their pride, they, they boast themselves. Instead of being shepherds of Israel, they were slaves of their own pleasures. Instead of feeding the sheep, they were feeding themselves. Instead of strengthening the sickly and healing the diseased and binding the broken and bringing back the scattered and seeking the lost, they dominated them with force and severity. And that's why Jesus was so harsh in His criticism of them. As I said, this criticism here is far less than the criticism that comes in Matthew Chapter 23, and, and uh, Darren skipped over those, but listen to some of these. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter into it yourselves, and you do not allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Because you travel around on sea and on land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple that has nothing, but whoever swears by the gold in the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold of the temple or that which is sanctified by the gold? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the great weightier portions of a law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup, and of the dish, but inside you're full of robbery and of self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones. He just piles it seven or eight times, just piles it on top, on top, on top of the condemnation that comes. And Jesus here is a little bit less strict, because this Mark is just summing up everything. But nonetheless, these are things we ought to look out for in religious leaders. In fact, look at the first word there. Jesus says, beware. Beware of the scribes. From time to time, you might see signs that said, beware of things, right? Beware of dog. How many of you have seen a beware of dog sign? Abraham, you ever seen a beware of dog sign? Okay, you think you have. I hope you have, right? A beware of dog sign. Or, or beware of uh, high voltage wires. Right? You've seen signs like that? Steffi, have you seen signs like that? Or, or beware of the edge of the cliff. Right? There it is, the edge of the cliff. You want to beware because lest you fall. And what do you do when you see a beware sign? You like back away, right? You don't go, you don't go near. You back away because there is trouble. And, and here it is with Jesus. He's saying, beware of the scribes. You should back away from them. You should, you should hold them at arm's length. You should avoid them. And you should not learn their ways. You know, this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus directly attacks the scribes and the Pharisees. On other occasions, He had spoken against them. Um, certainly, He'd questioned their reasoning ability. He'd questioned their hardness of heart. 
Uh, he was grieved at that. He called them hypocrites at one time. Lumped them in with the forefathers who killed the prophets. But it's kind of like been mounting. But now he says, beware of these people. I want to run through these six symptoms. <clears throat> Spiritual pride. We'll run through them quickly. And then uh, we'll transition today and think about church practices today. And as you think about application in your own life, just, just realize that you might be, not be walking around in long robes and making long prayers today. But that doesn't mean you're free from spiritual pride yourself. Because spiritual pride can affect all of us. It might just manifest itself in, a, in another way. And, and there's subtle ways that, that you can do that. Like, for instance, um, I know the story about the man who named his bed the Word. You heard this story? He named the bed, his bed the Word. And so when someone said, Hey, Jack, how you doing? He says, Oh, I'm doing really great. I've spent a lot of time in the Word recently. And in fact, all of you, right? Spend an extra hour in the Word this night, right? And, and there's a way that you can kind of just, just build yourself up and just pride yourself by, by just showing how, how good you are. Spiritual pride might address each of you. So as we go through these, may the Lord convict you where it's appropriate. Here are the scribes. First one, who like to walk around in long robes. They, they, they like the long robes, not the short robes, because the robes brought attention to themselves. The, the robes told everybody around that they are holy people. I spent some time in Nepal, and in Nepal, the holy men wear orange robes, distinctive. You can spot a holy man from miles away because he's, he's walking there in this bright orange dress and garb. And he's often got his, his beard down there just saying, hey, I'm the holy one. And so likewise, they wanted to be recognized as spiritual people. Now, in the days of Jesus, wearing robes is not wrong. In fact, that's what people wore. They, they wore big garments wrapped around themselves. They all wore robes. Linen sheets around them was a custom of the day. And, and furthermore, even Israel, they were commanded to have tassels, blue tassels at the end of their garments, just as a reminder to do all of God's commandments. As a Jewish boy, Jesus would have worn these robes. He would have had tassels. The end of his cloak. In fact, that's probably the one that the woman with the hemorrhaging problem just touched his tassel of his, of his cloak. So Jesus warned that. But the problem was that they, they lengthened it. They lengthened their robes to be seen. Right? They, they made a big display. Rather than being modest, they wanted everyone to be attracted to that. And in doing so, they pointed out how devout they were at following the commands of God. They, they loved their garments. And they loved walking around in long robes. They love the recognition that came with their apparel. Not only that, they, they like to walk around in long robes. Secondly, they, they like the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. They like to be called rabbi. They like to be called father. They like to be called leader. See, the robes and the greetings all came as a package because when a guy would come alongside in a long robe, he'd be addressed as, Oh, leader, oh, father, oh, rabbi. In the marketplace, they'd stand out and people greeted them. And every time they were greeted this way, their ego just got a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Third characteristic, not only do they like to walk around in long robes and like the respectful greetings, but verse 39, they like the chief seats in the synagogues. Now, the prominent in every synagogue was, it's called the ark, is a, is a box, uh, you know, it varied in size certainly according to how many scrolls they had. But this, in this box, they had the scrolls that they kept. And, and they had some seats up front, whether it's just to the side of the scrolls or right to the back of the scrolls or, or somewhere around close to them. So this everyone in the synagogue was looking. The, the scroll, uh, this box of the scrolls was big and prominent and they were right next to it so that they could see. And they loved sitting in those seats. 
grab the attention of all who came to worship, right? Further lifting their pride, right? When they'd sing songs or, or do anything, the, the scribes would be right up there in front for all to see. And pride is really the, the fourth characteristic, right? They love the seats of honor and the, the banquets. It's the same as delighting in the chief seats, only rather than a religious setting, like sitting in the chief seats, these uh, places of honor as a social setting. And as those who are important in society, they're invited to lots of social events. Bar mitzvahs, weddings, anniversaries, holidays. And these scribes love to enter into these social settings and come right forward and sit down in the chief seats. They love that. In fact, Jesus witnessed this on one occasion when He attended a party and Luke 14 says that He noticed how they were all picking out the chief seats and Jesus then said to them this story in Luke 14. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by Him. When He is invited by you, will come and say to you, give this man, give this place to this man. Then you in disgrace proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline in the last place so that the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And there you may have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And, and these Pharisees right, need to learn this lesson because they were all trying to exalt themselves and, and were in it for their own spiritual pride. But Jesus said, no, no, you humble yourself and you let God exalt you at the proper time. That's the way to true honor, though these scribes sought honor the other way by bringing it to themselves by sitting in the, the place of honor at banquets. Alright, fifth characteristic, right? They walked around long robes, respectful greetings, chief seats in the synagogues, place of honor at banquets. And here, fifthly, they devour widows' houses. Literally here, they, they consume the houses of widows. They, they eat them. That's what this, this word means. It's a, it's a devouring. It's an, it's an eating. It's a consuming of the widows' houses. Now, what is particularly bad here is the law so protected the, the orphan and the widow and the foreigner. God just has a heart for the, the weak and the helpless. And yet the very people who were supposed to give and help the, the poor and needy, they took advantage of them as well. And they sucked out all their resources. And, and the way it worked was a widow was there, right? Because her husband died. And so she's left with a, a good chunk of property. And what happens is then these Pharisees, these scribes, right, would just milk them and milk them and milk them and milk them and milk them until they didn't have anything left. And the epitome of that is verse 41. We'll look at next week, right? When Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began to observe how people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums and a poor widow came who had, by the way, been devoured by these scribes. This poor widow came and put in Two small copper coins which amount to a cent. And calling His disciples to Him, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Now, I'm not sure how Jesus knew that, but she had two little coins in her bank account and this religious system, these scribes, had so intimidated the way that, that she would give the very last of what she owed, felt compulsion to give that to the synagogue, to the temple. That's such for the scribes. That you shouldn't be preying on the weak people. You should help them instead. 
But we'll look more in that text next week when we get to it. But here, lastly, right? they offered long prayers. You see that right there in verse 40. Offering long prayers. Now, the scribes are notorious for their length of prayers. But notice, it's not the length of their prayers that gets them in trouble. Long prayers are not, not so bad. I was reading recently through the Bible and got to 1 Kings chapter 8. Yes, I remember that when we read that together. 1 Kings chapter 8 about Solomon dedicating the temple. I mean, he prayed, this prayer goes on and on and on and on and on. It's not the, the length of the prayers. It's the, the reason for the length of the prayers. It's for appearance sake. They prayed a long time so that more people would hear their prayers and then think themselves to be deeply religious people. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned about this type of thing. He said, when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. They might be seen by men, right? They, they come here with their long robes, respectful greetings, they hold their hands up in the air and pray really loud for all to see. And they pray for a long time so that everybody knows, hey, look at how righteous I am. And you think about it, even though their words are praying to God, who are they really praying to? They're really praying for people then to look at them as being so holy. And that's when Jesus says, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and uh, pray to your fathers in heaven in secret, for your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Let God reward your prayers. You don't need to be flamboyant and boastful in your praying. It's a sign of spiritual pride. Well, there's the error of the, of the scribes. And you know what? I'm just so glad that none of these errors hit the church today. Aren't you, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad the church is totally free of these things? Are you kidding me? It is it's just shocking to me how many of these very practices that Jesus condemned so strongly are still prevalent in many churches today. It's amazing. Well, our family was in Bloomington, right, for this wedding, Drew and Alyssa's wedding, and we sat with some folks who lived in Rockford. And uh, as a father and a mother and a son, and uh, the daughter was in the wedding party, and so we got to talk with them, and soon the topic came up about the church. And um, they said they're Roman Catholic, right? And uh, Tom Harkis taught us this weekend, right? And Lynn, even I said this to you when you guys came for dinner the other night. Oh, had a friend of mine, right, Tom Harkis told us last week, who during the midst of the, um, the Mass, right, held up the Eucharist and would say, and does say, right, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. And, and remember Tom said, there, there was the Gospel in, in the Mass and I missed it all the time. And so I, I related that story to these, these friends who were Catholic and, and, I, and I just said that, that, that my friend was Catholic and then he saw that the mercy is in Jesus. And saw how he needed to believe in Jesus is the one who takes away the sin of the world, not this wafer, alright? Not the church, not the trappings, but it's Jesus who takes away the sin of the world and we need mercy. And reflecting upon that, his life was radically changed as he trusted Christ. Um, and then so, telling that story a little bit, drifted into church and they, had, of course, had seen me up front. I did the, the wedding and, and they asked about church and asked about Rock Valley Bible Church and and one of the things I began with saying is just, you know what, I'm real simple. I just teach through the Bible just a verse at a time and just go through passages of Scripture. And I asked them if they read the Bible and she, she reads the Bible like, like many people do, right? Reads the Bible like this. Just, well, that's what I'm reading today. And the fan method, right? She just does this. And, 
And, and I said, well, one of the things we do is we just kind of go verse by verse, section, maybe three verses, maybe ten verses, twelve verses, and we just pick up the next Sunday on the very next section. And what happens is week in, week out, people go home and see, well, that's exactly what the Bible says. It's not Steve's opinion. It's not the church's opinion. It's not what someone else says. It's what the Bible says. And just, it just what that creates is a culture of people who learn how to study the Bible together, who, who read the Bible and who begin to understand just what it means in context. And then just think about this little bit this week, and then this next week, and then this next week, and then this next week, and how much it grows to, to really help people grow in their biblical understanding. And so I, I talked with that, and I said, okay, so for instance, tomorrow I'm preaching on Mark chapter 12 um, about these uh, scribes who walked around in, in long robes and how they liked the respectful greetings in the marketplace. They sat in the chief seats in the synagogues, and they loved the places of honor at the banquets, and they devoured widows' houses. And they offered up long prayers. And I just said, how Jesus condemns those kind of people really strongly. He says, those are bad. And I didn't make connections between that and the Roman Catholic Church, okay? But I think those connections were probably made and obvious to her, obvious to them. As the night progressed, right, we found out that uh, we knew some of their, their relatives, even. Um, so we know them. And so just, just we're looking to invite them over to our house and to have them over and, and I got them interested they play pool right and so I said maybe maybe I'll play pool I mean Filipinos the pool in Philippines is very big and so I said play pool I said oh a little bit so I got maybe I'm going to have them over play play pool that's, that's my card Jeff that's my card just the pool card so I'm, I'm trying to trying to do that and just maybe they I, I like it so maybe they'll come and join me with that and and we place these folks on our seven for heaven list right that Tom Harkis talked about just seven people in your life who you're praying that God will will help um, will show reveal himself too and need the Savior. And so we're just you know going to reach out to them over the next couple of weeks, hoping to have them in our home. But but think about this: it's not just the Roman Catholic Church that practice these things. The Protestant Church is alive and well in every single one of these things. Long robes in many churches across our land, there are pastors who stand in pulpits and they're wearing these long robes. I affectionately call them, who knows what I affectionately call them? I affectionately call them dresses. Okay? These men come up and they, they wear their dresses. In fact, this is the very thing. I grew up in a church where the pastors wore a dress. And I said, when I was growing up, I don't want to be anything like that. I don't want to wear a dress on Sunday morning. I don't want to speak unintelligibly to people so they don't know any idea what's going on. Um, but I didn't want to wear a robe. Now, I know many pastors, even good churches do, and, and some of what they say is they want to minimize themselves so that it's just the Word of God and they do that, whatever. It helps them to hide. I'm not sure. But I, just, I just know the tendency of the human heart. People can easily look at those wearing ro- as robes as holy men. And it's dangerous to those who are being looked at and it's dangerous to those who are doing the looking as well. That you start looking up to them. Why else did Jesus say, beware of this, right? Because they're towards the edge. They're looking at these scribes and they're saying, oh, look at how holy the people are. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's, it's dangerous for you to say that. So there's a, there's a danger in that type of thing. And so in part, this is the reason why I don't wear a robe on Sunday mornings. I just want to communicate, I'm no different than you. I'm a sinner saved by grace, the cross of Jesus Christ. And I just hope the way I dress exhibits that as well. I'm no different than any of you. Or respectful greetings. Spiritual leaders today like respectful greetings, right? So clergy are called Dr. So-and-so or Elder So-and-so or, or Reverend. In fact, I was, I was at the um, 
I was at the wedding reception and I was walking through at, at the hotel kind of and then heard someone say, yeah, there goes the reverend. <laughs> I walked by. <laughs> like, I didn't turn. I just kind of kept walking, right? My own humble self. But do you know that there are even people who call themselves the very reverend? It's bizarre. It's dangerous for the one saying it and it's dangerous to the one hearing it the one saying it can lift an individual up so high and, and then when they fall, they, they bring many people with them. Or, or the danger is the one that's being said, right? They just get lifted higher and higher in, in their own pride. As I told you a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm, I'm content whatever you call me. If you call me Steve, that's okay. It's a name my parents gave me. It's what they call, call me. If you want to call me Pastor Steve, that's okay. And there, there's a help to that. It just kind of reminds my position, my role as a shepherd of the sheep, and that's, that's fine. But I'm not going to insist you call me anything. Um, well, you call me Steve. Otherwise, you, you call, if you call me nothing, you just go like this. Hey, <laughs> yeah, but you got to call me something. You can call me Steve. It's fine. You don't need a, a title. But I say this: Beware the one who insists that you use a, a title. You're just like the scribes who love to have these titles, respectful greetings. Just treat me like you'd treat anybody else. Uh, they like the chief seats in the synagogues. <laughs> Many churches across our land, our, our, our stage is empty, but many churches across our land have, have chairs up there like this, right? And then, and then these pastors sit here like this and look at all of you and you can look at, oh, how spiritual I am and closing my eyes, right? And then the, the songs sing, I can lift my hands for all to see and I, I'm so devout. I remember one time I, I was involved in a church service with another pastor in a church and had a, you know what I call these chairs? I call them thrones, okay? I, I had a, a chance and I was sitting in this throne and I tell you, I just felt so uncomfortable. Like, you know, everyone's looking at me and what, what do I do? You know, what if I got to blow my nose or something? Or, you know, I'm just, I, I just, it's just so different. And I, I just, I just, as long as I'm pastor here, we're not going to have thrones on the stage, okay? Now, I, I know some churches do. You, you know, may, maybe some stages got a long way up in order to get there, that, so they're closer. That's okay. But I think it just, there's some problems there. And so, why not just, let's get rid of the problems. And, and there's a reason I sit in the front row so I can get up here. Um, maybe sometime I'll sit in the back row and, and take my, my humble walk all the way up to the front, right? But we just, we just need, to, need to be among the people. It's symbolic that when we're here in the front row, that I'm with all of you. I'm not, not some exalted leader. And in fact, if you guys know us well enough to know how well our kids behave sometimes, we're struggling with our youngest too right now. Okay, just engaging them in the way. It's okay, right? Because I know all you struggle and that's okay as well. But I just want to be, I don't need to sit in a throne. Or honor, place of honor at a banquet. Now, it's hard to measure today, okay, because it's not like, oh, where the pastors sit and honor at, at banquets, but... Um, let me just say this. When we have our monthly potlucks like today, uh, you don't have to reserve a place down there that says this is for Pastor Steve, right, in the front, the, the, the best seat in the house downstairs. You, you, I, don't, I don't have to sit in the best seat. Uh, in fact, uh, in Bloomington yesterday at the wedding, it was, it was pretty funny that, that all the tables were assigned where we are supposed to go, and our table was like in the way far back, way over there, right, in the deepest corner. And furthermore, and as we're in the deepest corner, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm thinking my text. 
about the places of honor. We weren't in the place of honor way back there in the, in the corner. And I was thinking, how appropriate for our text this morning. And, and to make matters worse, we like sat right next to the cooling vent or something. They had the air conditioner on or I'm, I'm not sure. It was, it was really cold there. It was like the fan was directly above our table. And in fact, if you were outside our table, it's okay. But as soon as you got to the table, people came over and said, it's really cold over here. And we're like, no joke. We all got our coats on. We're just, we're just freezing over there. And uh, one of them, uh, I, I think it was our friend, he actually called it the North Pole, is where we were, we were sitting in the banquet. And I thought, how appropriate for this message. I gladly sit at the North Pole. That's, that's just fine with me. I, I don't need a, a special place. Devouring widows' houses. You know, churches do this today. I have a friend of mine who pastors a church in... In, um, I wouldn't call it inner city in Indiana, but I would call it a poor section of Indiana that's been hit, not only by the recession, it's been hit pretty hard for a long time. And um, So he, he talks about the, the houses across his street are going for about $20,000 is what he said, so kind of give you an idea of the, the lay of the land um, economically. He told me this story a couple of years ago, and so I called him up this week and just said, can I, can I get the details right? What, what, what happened in this circumstance? He, he told me a few years ago that uh, he had a single mother come. She had several children, began attending his church, and, and she was obviously destitute, obviously in need, and she was asking for money, asking for help, for clothes, for food, and, and that sort of thing. And um, the, her story was that she used to attend the, the mega church, which was down the street about three or five miles. And she used to attend there as a charismatic um, mega church, several thousand people. Uh, this pastor is right in with Benny Hinn to kind of give you a flavor of the church. Health, wealth, prosperity, gospel is preached there strongly. And, and it's this woman was attending this, this church. They were having a building program and they're building all this, this big, you know, whatever. And people were, were encouraged to like pledge money to buy whatever symbolic bricks for the building. And, um, you know, she didn't have much money, but she proceeded to take out a mortgage on her home, sign the bank note for $20,000 and so that she could have a, a brick for the new church building. Now, think about how ingenious that is from the, the church's standpoint. The church gets $20,000 cold cash right there. And she's accountable to pay it back to the bank, not to the church. And so what it means was basically something like a $100 payment for the next 30 years to go towards this, this building. And my pastor said, a friend of mine told me she had no business signing such a note. She, she was just looking for food. That's what she was trying to do. A needy single mother. And, and, and how awful it is that, that this church, that the very institution that God has brought into this earth so as to care for the poor and the needy and the widows and the foreigners and the strangers are the very ones exploiting the people. Churches do that well. And, and I, I just say, may the Lord protect us from such terrible things. That we might not exploit the, the poor among us, the needy among us. We'll get into that more next week as we look at the, the widow's might. Also, finally, right, long prayers. Right? There, there are plenty in church that make church just a show. Um, I remember rubbing against a, a pastor one time at a funeral, <clears throat> and um, 
You know, when he was at prayer, I can't remember what he said, but he prayed in grandiose language. And then whenever he finished his prayers, he prayed a couple times in front of us, he would pray, Amen and Amen. Kind of like the, the sign he said. He said, Amen and Amen. Just, and there are plenty of ministers and pastors who do that. And, and I, I just say, I, I want to be real with you. Uh, I I don't want to pray for appearance sake. I don't want to be here trying to impress you. I want to be real. And I know, I know the struggle that goes in my own heart. Maybe you guys don't know that. There's a struggle in my heart to, to try to keep things real rather than that. But I just say this also. You may be guilty of coming to church, not just to making everything look like everything seems okay, but when things aren't. I mean, if anything, we need to be at Rock Valley Bible Church is authentic, real people, not hypocrites. Right? Who, who at home, things are a wreck. And then when you come to church, there's all smiles. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? And then as soon as you get in the car again, you're reminded what a wreck it is. That will kill your children. Parents, such an activity will kill your children. Be the same at church as you are at home. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean I want people yelling here at church, okay? Or fighting here at church. I, I, want, I want your homes to be so, so peaceful and Christ-like and honoring and and confessing a sin and many of trouble, so you just bring those things right on into the church. Because what are we about? We're, we're about trying to be real with each other of how we're, we're living. And you know, if things are hard, feel free to cry at church. I, I've even I've seen people cry at church the last three weeks. I've just been so encouraged by that by just someone talking rather. How you doing? Oh, fine, fine. You know, no, the answer is how you doing? Well, things are pretty hard, and let me tell you about them. And uh, seeing others kind of come alongside and pray, and we ought to. Be just open to that and, and helpful towards that sort of thing. But, but let's just be real with each other, okay? That's what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't make these prayers <clears throat> for appearance sake so everyone can see. So but l- let me just tell you about the kind of pastor that, that I want to be that I'm aiming for. I received a, a letter in the mail this week. It's from one of our young kids in the congregation, okay? He has to remain anonymous, so I'll keep him anonymous. But for school, he had to write a, a, a paragraph about something. I don't know what the uh, occasion was, but he decided to write it about his pastor. And um, <clears throat> I was very touched by it. And it really captures my heart exactly what I'm trying to do with the youth of the church. Exactly, It extends to the, the people of the church as well. Okay? Um, he wrote this. Pastor Brandon was his, his title. And, and, and by the way, he, he did apologize to me about, you know, just make sure the first part, I hope you take that okay. Here's the first part. He says, Mr. Brandon, the pastor of Rock Valley Bible Church, is a man I love to be around. He is short, stocky, and likes to play basketball. <laughs> All right. And then he says this, this man will go bald from noogies and is good natured. And for those boys, you guys are scraping me bald. That's just Okay. One of the qualities I appreciate about Mr. Brandon is he's very fun to be around and to play a group game with. He figures out how to tweak a game and to make it more enjoyable. Secondly, Mr. Brandon is an interesting pastor. He integrates funny stories into the Sunday sermon so people pay more attention. Lastly, he's kind and generous. He knows how to comfort a hurting people, hurting person. Mr. Brandon is a fascinating person to be with. And this is who I want to be. I just want to be a fascinating person to be with, a person you enjoy being with is not just a super spiritual giant, because I'm not. And just even, just to be honest with you, pride got the best of me this week. Um, I made a phone call with someone this week, 
and uh, didn't catch the person. I was hoping to even call at a specific time thinking <clears throat> I'd catch the person this time. Left the message on the answering machine. Hung up. And uh, then I was out. Uh, he called back and here's what he said. You know, I'm just going to tell you one thing. The message you left was teeming with pride. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm like, <laughs> I'm preaching on spiritual pride this week. What's it going to be? And I prayed about it. I thought about it. And you know what? God was just convicting my heart. And so I, I called him back and just said, you're exactly right. I apologize. Will you forgive me? And so, seeking forgiveness right then and there. So, I, so I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not immune to it. Uh, I'm not. You know, this isn't for them out there. This is for me as well. I, I want to be like the, the man William Barclay tells of. He's the, the monk in the old days. He was a very holy man who was sent up to take an office in an abbot in a monastery. And he looked so humble a person that when he arrived, he was sent to work in the kitchen as a scullion because no one recognized him. And without a word of protest and with no attempt to take his position, he went and washed dishes and did the most menial of tasks. It was only when the bishop arrived a considerable time later that the mistake was discovered and the humble monk took up his true position. That's the kind of pastor I want to be. Like the one that just serves the sheep and gets under and, and help. And I'm not immune to it. And I, and I think really the best way for any spiritual leader and for me and for all of you to obtain any degree of honor or any degree of recognition is not, is not by seeking that for yourself, but is by letting others give you the praise, right? I, I read already from Luke 14:11 that he who exalts himself will be humbled, but it's the one who humbles himself who will be exalted. And so I'm thinking about um, the ways in which I mean, all these are, are towards whatever, trying to honor or trying to lift up or, or whatever spiritual leaders. And, and I was just thinking about it. What, what's a way that maybe you all could lift me up or Phil or Darren or one of the elders in, in, in a way that, that doesn't boast pride, but yet is really honoring? And so here, here's some things, some application for all of you like, like this. If you want to honor your spiritual leader, how about if you press on in your own spiritual life? Nothing gives me greater joy than to see all of you or see some of you or see one of you grow in your love to Christ and in your passion for Him and in your obedience to Him and your understanding of the cross. And as you do this, think about it, as you do that, I will be honored because in some small measure I've, I've had a role in seeking to see you walk closer with your Savior. Does that make sense what I'm saying there? If you want to honor your spiritual leaders, then pursue the unity of the body. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He said, With all gentleness and humility, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He just said, walk humbly with each other and preserve the unity of the church and to seek it and to pray for it and really walk what is consistent with your calling in Christ. And as you do that, you will honor spiritual leaders who maybe have some part in doing that. And you honor spiritual leaders who tried to put the gospel in you and you're just putting the gospel on display in practice. How about this? You want to honor a spiritual leader, then share Christ with those who need a Savior. Right? Be, be really praying 
for uh, those who are on your seven for heaven list and, and, and have a physical list and, and be praying for those types of people who intersect with your life and seven people you're committed to pray for and you seek opportunities and you will, you will honor spiritual leaders by taking the message that you're hearing and pushing that on to others. Not, not because you have to, but because God is so stirred in your heart, you want to find opportunities for that. And you just take that and, and from this little congregation of people, the, the Gospel would go out with all its fingers and tentacles in places that we as a church body can never reach. That's a way you can honor a spiritual leader. Serve the church. Find a way you can help. Jump in. Lighten the load for everyone. Find... Find others you can help. In fact, maybe this is the greatest way you can serve. You don't know somebody, well, have them for dinner at your house or be with them or figure out their, their needs and their helps, their wants. So you can call them, be involved in some sort of social engagement with them so you can find out what, what, what they need and how you can help. And, and that's a way to honor spiritually. That's a way to honor me is by, by getting to know others in the body and just serving the body so it's not just a pastor who does everything. It's everybody who does their part. Even, here's my last application, even something as simple as arriving at worship services on time. And many of you did that well this week. I don't know. I'm here. I don't know when you come, okay? Uh, I put that in the weekly word this past time that we start right at, at 10 o'clock, right? We, uh, we don't start at this. We start at, at, right, you come here this time, right? 10 o'clock is kind of when we start. And uh, I just know sometimes when I've been up here and read Scripture and prayed before, and I go and sit down and I come up to preach, like, whoa, where'd all those people come from? So I, I don't really know, but I just say that's a way just to say, you know what, if we start at 10 o'clock, let's try to be here. And, and I'm telling you, I'm the biggest hypocrite, okay? Um, prayer meeting, right? Starts at 9 o'clock and I showed up at like 9.03 today. All right, so I'm not, I need to preach to myself. I'm not, I'm not perfect in this, but I'm just saying that the ways we can do that is to help and serve one another. Does that make sense? All right, well, let me pray and we'll tackle this widow's giving next week. Father, I pray in Your grace You might protect us from spiritual pride. God, as uh, Jonathan Edwards even spoke about how the devil reaches up from hell and the smoke that gets in and begins to cloud clarity with respect to the Gospel and what it means to be a genuine believer in Christ. God, take that away from us. And I pray that You would so empty us that even as our our memory verse this week, Galatians 2.20, is that it would no longer be we who live, but may it be Christ who lives in us. And so live in us and through us, O Lord, I pray. God, give us a a heart to reach out to those who need a Savior. Um, God, I pray You do Your work, not only in our body here this week, but also beyond our body. Whether it's a kids' club, or whether it's at the various home Bible studies we have this week, or whether it's with the youth, whether it's other activities, school. God, just help us to be sensitive to You and Your leading. Give us boldness to walk through the doors that You open up to us. Um, God, not that we might flaunt in how, how good we are at sharing the Gospel or how good we are at reaching out to people, but God, because we love You. And we long You to work in the lives of people. So, I pray that You would help. Uh, I pray also for a potluck. I pray we would enjoy our fellowship together. Just as once again, we come together to enjoy our food together. We thank you for the food that you have given. I pray that we would um, eat it thankfully, that we would enjoy the, the things you've given us, that we would walk the rest of the day uh, loving you and honoring you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.